You're listening to Draft Chaff. Coming up this week. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It becomes a 3-1 for 5 mana. Our Lost Caverns of Ixalan Draft Chaff hero is... Ultimately, this saved the day of the player who was piloting the deck. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode 182. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. I got to say, around 15 minutes ago, I, fi- I kind of felt like crap. Uh, it was a long day at school. You know, it's, it's about to be an even longer day. We've got a whole recording ahead of us. But then I remembered that I recently discovered this thing called cold brew coffee, which... I don't know how I made it this far in life without it. And this stuff is incredible. So uh, I've, I've, I've got my cold brew. I'm pumped. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good cold brew is great. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, so this week we've got one of our favorite episodes. Before we jump into it, though, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, do check that out. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Come say hi to us. We're in there as frequently as we can be. Um, talk about your trophy decks your what's the picks anything like that especially now we've got cons which is a you know brand new set to most people in the discord um happy to jump in there and have discussions around the new set link to that is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page and if you'd like to support the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod huge huge thanks to each and every one of our patrons who continue to support us we love you guys you keep us doing this and make it so that we can continue to put out awesome content for you we do have some artist proofs or some some images of the pins that we uh, are sending out to everybody who backed us during the new relaunch period. So keep an eye out on your email for a notification from Patreon to see what those look like. We have actual like real photo- photographs of the of the pins, and we'll have more details on when you should expect those in the mail soon. They are on the way to us. Once we have them, we can give you better estimate on when you'll get them. And they look great. I'm I'm very excited to have mine. Yeah, they're pretty sweet. We also have lots of other cool perks over there. If you missed the relaunch window, we have things like our custom Draft Chaff Hero stickers. More on that later. Yeah. Of course, our Draft Chaff Cube drafts and actually getting the ability to have a say in what the, the official Draft Chaff Cube has in it or what gets removed. We're working towards completely... Uh, boosting the funding for the rewards and the bounty boards. So potentially getting up to like even having first place, getting a box uh, like instead of just a, a few packs here and there and all sorts of things like that. Those are kind of the things that you're f- helping fund if you are backing us through the Patreon. So check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Wanted to do a quick plug as well. It is December. So we are gearing up for a holiday mailbag episode. And if you do submit questions, three entrants who submit, questions in our listener questions channel in the discord will win three arena codes each so it's nine total codes going to three people not going to repeat any winners there but drop your questions in there if you haven't already we will love to answer those on the holiday mailbag episode all right under crack and draft type thing as i mentioned cons is out so ben it looks like we have a pack one pick one here from cons of tarkir that we do we've got a pack one pick one here and uh i'll be honest i'm not an expert in cons, at least not yet. I'd like to be by the time it's uh, off of Arena, at least like the regular draft queues. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to this kind of blind. I'm very curious to hear feedback about what people think of our card analysis, given that many of you listeners probably know a lot more about the format than we do. 
First up is Wake and the Bear. Uh, two and a green, instant target creature gets 3-3 three, three and tramples on a turn. Pretty beefy trick, and this is a pretty beefy format. Uh, a lot of big things, a lot of things that take a while to set up. And uh, the tendency for boards to stall. I could see this as a way to punch through, but obviously a three mana pump spell, it's a little risky. Uh, I don't love this. Yeah, it is a relatively slow format, much slower than we're used to. But yeah, this three mana for a trick like this is not where I want to be. We've got Arrow Storm up next. Three red red. Uh, it's a sorcery. Uh, it deals four to a creature or player, or if you have raid, where if you've attacked this turn, uh, deals five to that creature or player and can't be prevented. I mean, this is a lava axe and a kill spell. It's kind of really flexible like that. I did die to this in my first draft of the format. Uh, I, I like this one. Uh, it's kind of what a beefy slow red deck wants. Yeah, and we've gotten used to seeing these like five mana deal a bunch of damage commons in red. We almost always get one of these. I feel like we haven't at least haven't explicitly talked about them lately but we're pretty used to seeing these and that extra clause about doing a little bit of extra damage and then you know also not being preventable is is pretty solid i definitely would want to take Aerostorm over awaken the bear still not an exciting first pick though yeah i i guess they don't really make a lot of strict lava axes anymore right just straight up five mana deal five to an opponent it's usually yeah. just like the five mana deal five to a creature deal two to an opponent as an additional bonus somehow we've got a kill shot it's an instant it's cost two and a white destroy target attacking creature useful seems like a fine rate just destroys so it goes to the graveyard and that can fuel delve or soul tie is all about getting stuff back so it's risky but uh seems like a good rate yep still not exciting yeah uh, I knock tracker that's uh, five in red, three, three first strike, and it has morph uh, for four in red. So uh, morph cards, I'm a big fan of. Uh, this is a pretty weird mechanic. You can play a card face down and uh, at any time you can flip it up for its morph cost. You know, what I always wondered, what if you just played like a land face down? You know, so like, that would be manifest, which isn't in this set, but you can do that. In a few, like in with manifest cards but could you cheat and like just play a land no. face down in paper and then like how would someone call you out on it you you so you have to reveal in in like legal in high rail tournaments when this was like a format that tournaments were being played for pro tour all the gps all those kinds of things if you played a morph card no matter at and at any point you had to reveal it so even when the game ended you had to reveal that it was a proper morph Oh, okay. So, like, it, it would become known information after you played it if the game ended, like, if, or if it died or something. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, like, if, if let's say the game ended with a morph on the board, but, like, the morph itself hadn't died, you can't just shuffle that away into your deck and not reveal to the, your opponent that it was a morph card. Interesting. Uh, in any case, the rate on this seems fine. I mean, it's a 3 3 first strike, and this is a slower format, so that could get beefy, especially with big pump spells or wearing counters, but. Eh, seems fine. Morphs, they do tend to play better than you think. Mm -hmm. uh, seems okay, but I don't know if it'd be better than something like Kill Shot. Seems like Red wants to be a little faster, a little lower to the ground. These, you can almost think of Morph as car like cards with cycling because they do that curve filling thing where you can, at three, you can always play them and you can quote unquote splash them that way too because the th the three mana is generic so you can just always play mm -hmm. these on three no matter what colors you're playing 
And then you have the option to then cast another card, quote unquote, by activating the morph ability to flip it into whatever creature it actually is. Some morph cards are much better than others. They do all tend to play better than you probably think they would. That said, a three mana two two is not really anything to be super excited about. And like a five mana three three first strike, also not really something to be excited about. And so for me, Inoc Tracker is not a card that I'm excited about. But mm-hmm. if you need the curve filling considerations, you want an expensive card because you can also just like never morph this and cast it for six, but then it's a six mana three three first strike, which is just awful. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> like that's just terrible. It, it, it's funny having to adjust our heads. What was it? It's like 2015, like almost 10 years ago Somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years ago. I mean, this is just what a common look like. This would get annihilated in like a yeah. format like LCI, for example. Yeah. Uh, next up is Firehoof Cavalry. Uh, it's a white for 1-1 one, one, uh, common, and you can pay 3 and a red to give it 2-0 and trample till end of turn. It's a human berserker, not a human warrior. And to my understanding, white, it would want the warrior over the berserker just about every time, right? Yes, and this is also still just not a card you're generally very excited about. It's a 1-mana one 1-1, one, one, sure, it fills the curve there, but then you've got to pump 3-mana into this and give it plus 2 plus 0 oh and trample. Four mana. Four mana. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I misread that. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It becomes a three one for five mana. No, I don't need that. Oh, it's not but, um, trampling over much in this format. You can do it multiple times, I guess, but yeah, yeah. and at instant speed. But mm. yeah, this isn't blocking like this creature doesn't want to be blocking. So <laughs> so next up, we've got Bloodfire Mentor. Two in a red. It is a weird a zero five there's a lot of cards in this that i've noticed with like really high toughness really low power uh it has two and a blue tap draw a card then discard a card so a bit of a weird looter uh a looting wall mm-hmm. i i i mean this just looks like utter garbage <laughs> it does look that way i think there are some pretty pretty defensive control jeskai decks you can build that where that would want this card i still don't think you would ever want to first pick it but i mean this is just a big a big blocker that at instant speed on your opponent's turn you can dump some mana into to filter your hand out and get away get away from flooding or whatever like control decks like having that option the and, red deck I, I guess yeah but it's jeskai it's not red yeah i don't know i i can't imagine ever being excited about putting this card in my deck but it's probably look, not it was good. A different, it was a different time back then. <laughs> it's probably not good. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I could see some control vectors in the Jeskai colors that would want a card like this. I guess they would also want our next card, Monastery Flock. Two and a blue for a 0-5 Defender flying, and it has Morph for a blue. What is with these 0-5s? <laughs> hey, I loved it. This They were setting up because Dragons of Tarkir is when Assault Formation came out, so they were gearing up oh. for the Assault Formation deck in Standard. I, I love it. All right. That that I can't get mad about, but this again, I just can't imagine wanting to put into a deck. Like yeah. th- th- this just looks like junk. I, then again, I am a bit more of an assertive player at heart. I prefer to be the one forcing the issue rather than the one reacting to the issue. So um, I, I see a zero five, and I just I just go next. <laughs> and next is actually pretty great. It's feet of resistance. Uh, this is one of the white. You put a woman counter on target creature. Uh, you control and it gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn this card has always been a banger 
uh, what was this one reprinted in like m21 or something it was one of the best commons in that draft format and uh, it's going to be one of the best commons in this draft format too it's such a great rate and to be honest this one would hold up in modern day sets, whereas a lot of these other ones are just really overcosted and slow. So that tells you that even within the scale of this format, it's going to be really efficient. Now, this next one, I, I have a pretty soft spot in my heart for. We've got Highland Game. One of the green for a 2-1 elk. Nice. And when it dies, you gain two life. Um, this is uh, th th this has got to be garbage, right? <laughs> I would think so. I mean, two mana, two one gain, two when it dies, fine. But I feel like there are just better things to do in the format. Again, I'm operating on very limited information here, so I like I really don't know how the format plays out yet. Uh, so mm, I'm not too sure. This. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is garbage. I mean, look yeah. at these other three mana. Like, Monastery Flock basically negates this card entirely. Mm -hmm. And I think Monastery Flock is a card that's easily negated by other cards. So, like, where, where, where does that leave Highland Game? It, it doesn't beat the things that don't beat the good cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, next to Feed of Resistance, you just kind of laugh. But Yeah, Feed is, is by far the pick here for me. Arrow Storm, I, I am looking at too, but I, I like feet a little more. It seems like a more efficient rate. And it's just a cheaper card, right? Mm -hmm. Last common here is Dutiful Return. That's the uh, three and a black sorcery return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. I had this one in the single draft that I've done of this format so far. It was very good. You just trade a bunch of stuff off, get it back in the late game. Works. Yeah, I feel like this type of card is one that we've gotten used to lately being not incredible. Like these are you maybe want one of these in your like green black graveyard matters decks, but we don't see these played very often. This is supposedly a format that is slow enough that that card actually is quite good. And there's a lot of graveyard stuff going on. It doesn't pair super well with delve because mm. if you're delving away your creatures, then you don't have anything to return. So just keep that in mind if you're building delve decks, but uh, Dutiful Return is is supposed to be quite good in this format. Funny enough, it does pair well with the things that pair well with delve, right? Like right. self-mill enablers or stuff that dumps cards in the graveyard. Uh, looting effects, I guess, even like the Bloodfire Mentor. Not that those, I think, would ever release the same deck. Uh, and at four mana and sorcery speed, this looks like the worst version of this effect we've seen in years. Then again, it's a much slower format than usual. You can even play like a higher land count because of these um, like morph cards because you're guaranteed three drops and five or six-ish drops if you take the ones with big morph effects. So um, you can pretty reliably hit your... You rather you want to pretty reliably hit your like fifth, sixth, seventh land drop in some cases. So then uh, Duty for Return doesn't look that bad when scaled with the game in that way. I don't know. Out of the commons, I'm on the feet of resistance here. Yeah, I agree. Now, uncommons. We've got Death Frenzy up first. That's three green, black, sorcery. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. And whenever a creature you control, or whenever a creature dies this turn, rather, you gain one life. Yeah, so that, it's basically... That card's good. Yeah, it's a big board wipe that gains you life when you're killing stuff. Minus two, minus two is interesting because it... They're, you know, you're looking at like some of the stuff we see in this pack, right? Oh, fives. A lot of yeah. like there's a three three in the pack, right? We have like there are some creatures with quite high toughness in the format. There's also, we'll see later, like some four fours and a three four. Uh two, minus two minus two is not really gonna kill much. But if you use it 
after attacks where your mm. opponent thinks they're setting up profitable blocks. Yeah. Then you can kind of sneak away with, with some pretty solid uh, removal and it basically becomes a board wipe. So there, this was, this is a card that's not like a traditional board wipe. You do have to do some work. I feel to make it to like maximize it in this format, but on the bright side, you gain, you gain some life off of it. So you're getting a little bit extra than just wiping the board from this one. If you can set up the right environment to do so. Yeah, this feels good to stabilize against these maybe more assertive black and white, like warrior type beatdown decks. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say I had three morphs on the field. My opponent had it a three. It does destroy morphs. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just scooped. I mean, I, I, how do you win? <laughs> what are you yeah. supposed to do? <laughs> like, but my opponent said, okay, how about a three for one? And I gain a bunch of life and I, you know, casual plague wind with right. strict upside uh it i mean i guess they were taking a risk by playing it in best of one but it certainly worked out against me yeah there are a lot of morphs in the set you can almost guarantee you'll see them in probably every deck like they're just all over the place it might not be enough to warrant playing this card in a best of one scenario but uh they are they are all over the place you do also have the opportunity to morph your card in response don't you yeah you could unmorph in, in response hmm. so there's that too but most morph effects are quite expensive and so you how many you may what you may be able to morph one creature save one creature yeah next up we've got armament core two obzon so two white black green uh for a four four human soldier uh when it enters the battlefield distribute two one one counters among one or two target creatures you control Stat piece, I guess. Yep. Seems yeah. Pretty good. Five mana, four, four that puts another two, two worth of stats out. Pretty solid. A um, little hard to cast. Uh, I guess you want the Abzan deck specifically for this. And Abzan does have some uh, sort of like a vector that cares about counters being on creatures, right? There, there's that cycle of uh, like Merak Nightblade is the, what is it, like a four mana, three, three. And it says creatures you control with one, one counters on them have death touch. I was on Falconer is the same thing, but with flying and there's mm -hmm. a trample one and other stuff like that. And other, other bonuses here and there for having counters on your creatures. So uh, this seems good, especially if you have ways that your deck already cares about having counters on stuff. Yeah, definitely. Last uncommon here is Sultai Flare. Uh, three and a green for a three, four Naga Shaman at uncommon. Whenever a creature you control with toughness for a greater dies, you gain four life. So when this thing dies, uh, you gain four life. And then anything else that has four power when it dies again for, I don't know, this uh, seems a little narrow, sort of just like a value card. I mean, how, how important is life gain in this format? Wouldn't you rather be accruing card advantage via something like dutiful return or board advantage with armament core? Yeah, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the time these cards feel enticing because you're like, ooh, yeah, I'm getting something out of my thing dying. But there are also like a handful of cards in this format that are like, I don't know, three or four mana gain 10 or whatever, and that's all they do. and those are just bad cards. Like you just never want to yeah. play them. <laughs> Even though it sounds like, wow, 10 is a lot of life, you know, it, they're just not worth the card slot and they're often just more mana than they're worth. Like even a one mana gain 10 is often not worth putting in your deck. Yeah. Um, yeah. This doesn't feel quite like that. I mean, it is still a three, four for four, which is good. And it's going to give you benefits whenever a toughness for a greater creature dies. But you need to be big. You need to be big building big butts here, right? Like you need a bunch of, 
four plus toughness creatures. So it's kind of a build around like C, <laughs> you know, maybe C minus. I don't know. And finally, something to combo with my monastery flock and bloodline mentor, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, I think, that, again, there are a bunch of creatures in the format that have toughness four or more, but do you need to be building your deck such that like you're manipulating the cards you put in it just to make this card better? Probably not. It's one of those like playing bad cards to make bad cards better scenarios you just don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this um, seeing cards like this makes me want to try best of three because this could be a beating against like a a beat down deck. That's trying to just reduce your life total as fast as possible. Uh, But against some sort of valuey mirror, which I played a bunch of in my first draft, uh, this doesn't seem super effective. Right. I also will throw out there, there's a good chance that we're just entirely wrong about any of these evaluations because we <laughs> haven't played the format really. And it's been a long time since this one was designed. And I think we're pretty confident in saying that set design has changed since then. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we are used to very different yeah. formats. Although it is interesting to, to think in terms of vectors for, for some of these, like Highland Game. What is this thing's vector? It wants to die, to be sacrificed, to have little life gain synergies. And to my knowledge, there's nothing else in the format that cares about that. So to me, that tells me that right. Highland game is, is trash. Um, except in my Elk Commander deck, where it's actually great. Uh, <laughs> because it's a two-drop Elk, and there's only so many of those. Uh, anyway, I, I think uh, we should mention our rare. It's a Polluted Delta. A nice, beautiful blue black fetch land. And if I were drafting the set in paper. Oh, windmill slam the Delta, go cash <laughs> out and be happy with your life. I yeah. think even still, I might just want the Delta here because it keeps you open. It lets you fetch out some of the like random. I, I guess none of the duels in this set have basic yeah, land no, types. Yeah, don't have types. But it still helps with fixing. It keeps you open. I don't, I'd probably just take the Delta here. I mean, maybe what else are you taking? Like feed of resistance? Do you take any of the uncommons over feed of resistance? I personally, at this point would not. I, I think it might be between feed of resistance and arrow storm and the Delta. I mean, fetch lands. Yeah. Sometimes you open a rare landing and you go like, Oh shoot, not nothing to it. But, but this is genuinely really good fixing. Like right. if you wind up in some sort of Sultai combination, then, uh, I mean, I mean, just having a fetch isn't bad. Plus, it does go to the graveyard. It does help with delve just a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I, I might not take it first pick, but this doesn't seem like a super outstanding pack. I think I'd go with the feet of resistance, then storm, then delta in that order. All right. All right, on to our main topic. This week, we're, we're revealing our LCI, Lost Caverns of Ixalan, Draft Chaff Hero. And this was a fun one for us to pick because, well, we'll get into that. But without further ado, our Lost Caverns of Ixalan draft chap hero is... <laughs> it's Kinth. It's it's Kinth. It, it's, 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 it's Kinth. We have to it's, say it five um, times. It's, 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 Well, it's not second Kinth and it's not third Kinth. It is, wait, it's not fourth Kinth. Oh, God. Kinth. It's... All right, all right. Uh, so uh, it's honestly this one kind of kind of called out to us, right? Even in the live draft where we got three of them in pack three or some ridiculous nonsense like that, uh, it's kinth was calling our name on this one. Yeah, it's kinth, firstborn of Gishath, and uh, th- this is a fun little card. I mean, it's red green for a two three, 
legendary creature dinosaur how often do you get a legendary two mana signpost uncommon uh that happens to be something as fun as a dinosaur it's got haste so two mana two three haste already a solid body but then it's etb when it enters the battlefield you may pay two when you do target dinosaur you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature uh, i mean this is usually itself uh you play this on turn four you uh, pay the two careful when you have a uh what is it the, the lore keeper in play you got to pay for its kit with the lore keeper because the lore keeper can't pay for this ability it can only tap cast dinosaur spells not for abilities uh i've had that come up a bunch of times anyway uh this is usually going to be a four mana etb deal two to something because it sees its own power right uh but sometimes you have a six six dino in play or a five three dino in play or a, a five four and this ends up being just deal four five seven to a creature your opponent controls and uh all that on a card that's also a two mana two three haste this little guy screams draft trap hero i mean this is it's a legendary baby dinosaur if, if this doesn't embody our brand of, of draft shaft hero i i really don't know what does yeah i also i just wanted to clarify for the listener the lore keepers do let you pay for abilities activated by dinosaurs but they have to be activated from not triggered by and oh that's, that's it that's yeah. the that's the issue here um but yeah i mean it's a solid little body. I mean, we're up on stats. It's got haste if that matters on turn two, which in, against some of these red green decks it does. And then you just turn all of your dinosaurs or your biggest dinosaur into a removal spell as well if you're playing this late. So it's good early, good late. Just fantastic overall. And it put up good numbers. We'll get to the numbers in a bit. We don't always use the 17 lands data as the like end all be all for what a draft draft hero should be but this one did put up good numbers and so it was it was feasible to to discuss there and we'll talk about some of our runner-ups later but because we are now we've done the, the patreon re- relaunch and we have this new tier for instead of sending out draft draft hero cards what we used to do if you're newer to the show we would send out to certain patreon tiers our draft draft hero signed by Ben and I. We've changed that. So instead of sending out the cards, we we have an artist designing custom stickers for each of our draft draft heroes, which is just phenomenal. And we have a reveal for our first one ever. And this is what it looks like. <laughs> this is it's like, come on. This is incredible. I, I my jaw was on the ground when I first saw this. I was cracking up. Listener pause pull up spotify pull up youtube just just come look at this <laughs> it's it is so stinking cute right like look at the look look at the little mohawk he's got going on there the pacifier oh, the so beautiful good. egg i mean this is just this is just perfect i i, I yeah. literally could not have done anything close to this or thought of anything better myself julia our, our in-house artist really crushed it and you can expect plenty more great work where this came from because every time we have a draft chat hero from now on uh a new sticker will get sent out to all patrons of, of the sticker tier so if you want this sticker want to slap it on your deck box or uh this one's going on my pc and my deck box probably uh i I'm, I'm hoping that eventually my limited kit will just be covered in draft chat hero stickers like it's gonna look so good uh and when people see it's Kent with a little pacifier and everything, man, it's perfect. Uh, again, head over to Patreon if you want one of these things, because uh, 
uh, this is worth it. Yeah, and I'll just throw out there too, um, we aren't going to backtrack the Draft Champ Hero stickers, so in order to get one for a given season, you have to be a Patreon for that season. So when we announce the next Draft Champ Hero, you won't be able to get the Sitzkin one anymore. But if you sign up anytime between now and when the next one's announced, you will get it. So do check that out. Uh, it's the Inspiring Overtier, Overseer tier uh, that is eligible for these, but you can find all that all on Patreon. Anyway, we're really excited about this. Julia, you did a fantastic job. So, you know, thanks for that. And I guess let's move on to some of the data for It's Kinth here. Yeah, so overall, It's Kinth was up near the what you call mythic uncommons in the set looking at 17 lands data by game in hand win rate uh the fifth best behind us some other bangers admittedly zoetic glyph is still up there at 63.3 percent win rate uh followed by spyglass siren deep cavern bat and ruin lurker bat and then uh our little itzkinth right there in fifth with a 60.7 percent game in hand win rate which is very respectable i mean 60.7 that's relatively that, that that's up there uh now in opening hand win rate surprisingly a little lower than some of these other ones uh, something like zoetic glyph has a 65 percent opening hand win rate whereas it's kent only has a 59.9 percent win rate maybe because in opening hand uh people might be incentivized to play it on turn two if they're lacking another two drop and that's obviously not the best use case for it's kent the best use case is it comes in on turn eight you pay the two you deal six to your opponent's big thing and you smack for a million so a funny little trend there that all these other ones are up by like 65 63 64 percent for opening hand win rate but then again spyglass siren deep cavern bat rune lurker bat these are all one and two mana flyers so it does make sense that these would have pretty beefy numbers when uh when, when in your opening hand right yeah and it's interesting we we had considered and we'll we'll kind of talk about this in our runner-ups but you'll notice that one of these top cards is not a creature. Yeah. And so that would have been interesting. It would have been our first non-creature draft half hero, which feels a little weird. Let us know in the Discord if you think we should have non-creature draft half heroes in the future, because we went back and forth on it quite a bit, and we were kind of torn about whether a hero could be a non-creature. Yeah, I can think of some sets where the draft chap hero would have been non-creature. Revenge of Ravens comes to mind for original mm. Eldraine, uh, because that was by far the most draft chap hero worthy card from the set. This was, I think, before we did it. Did yeah. we have a draft chap hero from that? I don't think so. Uh, then again, we might have instead gone with something like Sir Conrad the Grim, which was also a, just about the same effectiveness, maybe a little worse uh, data-wise, but, but also just a, a beating of a card. And also a good candidate for Draft Chef Hero. Uh, anywho, Itzkinth was, was uh, clearing away our, our pick here because, I mean, just look at that little guy. Uh, <laughs> just l- l- look at the sticker. Tell me this isn't the cutest thing you've seen. <laughs> so this is also a pretty easy one to talk about when it comes to vectors. I think most, if not all, of our potential options for Draft Chef Hero this time around would have had very few vectors. There just wasn't mm-hmm. a ton of vector overlap in this set. And so... Geshat, or I'm sorry, Itzkin pretty much just goes in dinos. Like you're playing them in red, green, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, this is sort of one of the big signals that red, green is open. It's sort of when you see like a pick three or four Itzkin, that's when you know like, oh, I took a good couple red cards, maybe like a Poetic Ingenuity, and then like, a, I don't know, some other good red two drop, another good red removal spell like in a braid, and then an Itzkin, oh, well, if the dinosaur's deck is open, if you're the only one drafting this vector, then you wind up with just all the goods, right? You wind up with um, 
but the three mana three three that gains three life, if you can get those like eighth, ninth pick, you're living, right? That that's a great way to combat the pretty hyper aggressive artifact beatdown vectors like red, white, and blue white in the set. Uh and plus sometimes you just get like the equivalent of a Llanowar elf like wheeling. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that that's really strong. So uh this is again, usually about one person exactly per table should be in dinosaurs. And if you're the one, you'll get your itzkins. Don't worry. Nobody else will want them. For sure. Now, this does have a little bit of a home in a second deck, and that's five color. There are five color decks floating around the format that that perform decently well, and itzkin generally ends up in that because you do see kind of a green base in five color decks, and there are a lot of good green dinos. So you kind of get a little bit of an overlap in vectors there as well. Now, there were some runner-ups that we had. Uh, Spyglass Siren, Captain Storm, Cosmian Raider. These two uh, belong to that hyper-aggressive blue artifact beatdown vector, as does our previously mentioned Zoetic Glyph, the one that maybe would have been our other choice had we not gone with Itzkinth. We were really between Glyph, Itzkinth, and and one of the two above. Uh, Glyph would have been an interesting one. Again, the first time a non-creature spell was up for contention here. We did err on the side of Itzkinth just because, again, look at him. <laughs> look, look at that little dude. Uh, more draft chap hero vibes, more, more draft chap energy, I'd say. Whereas Glyph is uh, it's an evocative card, a, a bit flavorful, but not quite as draft chaffy, I'd say. Uh, just a little cool design, one of these sort of in-soul artifact type cards with a Discover for pretty much guaranteed value. You can't even kill this thing uh, without just losing because your opponent gets to basically get their value back no matter what. And uh, another consideration here would have been Chupacabra Echo, the four mana, uh, three, two beast horror spirit that that ETBs to kill something uh, minus X minus X where X is your uh, fathomless descent count, the number of permanents in your graveyard. This sort of single handedly makes these black descend decks viable. Really a copy or two of this and then a bunch of ways to recur it from the graveyard is all you really need to make one of these Fathomless Descent decks actually be able to stand up against these red-white beatdown decks. Uh, Chupacabra Echo is a big part of that. All right, well, I mean, that's kind of it in terms of discourse for our Draft Shaft hero. Would love to hear if you guys thought we were going for something else or if, yeah, again, if you think that Zoetic Glyph or some other future non-creature card could make it as a Draft Shaft hero. Let us know in the Discord. But as we like to do with the Draft Chef Hero episodes, we do have a bunch of Melanius kind of topics we wanted to cover. So Ben, why don't we? This one's kind of more personal to you. So why don't we? Uh, why don't we cover this first one here? Oh yeah! Uh, anyone who is on Magic Internet this week, no doubt saw Spillgate, which I don't. I don't even. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if it's going to stick, but I certainly think it's a funny enough name. So I was actually at uh, an RCQ this weekend. And after round one, I, I noticed a big crowd of people surrounding two players that seem to have gotten an extension of some kind. So I walk over and I notice that one of the players seems to be playing a deck consisting entirely of islands uh, with Sharpie scribbled on them. And I look at my round one opponent who's also done and watching. and I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> uh, did, did something happen to this person's deck that, you know, fall off into the subway and get carried off by a rat or something? Like, why is this person using a deck of all proxies? Uh, I find out 
much later on that apparently coffee had been spilled on this player's deck ruining it during round one and making it totally unusable and that's obviously a bummer you show up to an rcq with your beautiful burn deck foiled out cool expedition fetches everything and then your opponent spills coffee on it i mean it was double sleeved but it looked like from what sources reported the double sleeving was not perfect um I, I, maybe it was something where like the double sleeves faced the same way as the outer sleeves so liquid could still get in um and it, it ruined the cards and so what, what do you do in that case do you just get sent home by the judge and say well your deck's no longer viable uh but then like your your deck is kind of ruined like the cards are a floppy wet mess like what, what do you shout out to our head judge uh judge jen or jenny i think they went by uh because they made a really fun judgment call in the moment and they decided to create 58 judge proxies so official judge approved proxies uh signing off on on the the fact that all of them were, were viable every card in the deck but two mountains was ruined funnily enough so they had a deck for the tournament of two mountains and 58 other cards all of which had like lightning bolt written on an island uh lava spike written on an island boros charm written on an island and then their sideboard was unharmed uh which made for this this fascinating tale uh this player ended up doing pretty well made top three i think so just barely missed the uh the cutoff for the uh, uh the the, the uh, invite so you know great for them and uh the player that spilled the coffee was very cool about it too. Uh, bought the deck off of the opponent and also replaced all the cards. Uh, so, you know, class act there. Uh, anyway, this caused a bit of discourse on Magic Twitter about whether this was a viable judge call and about whether, I guess, whether the, the juice was worth the squeeze on this one because it was burned. And, you know, without wading into what people say about burn decks, oh, they're easy to pilot. I wouldn't agree with that, but uh, are they less complex to pilot than something like Yawgmoth Hospital? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're certainly less uh, difficult to represent with proxies. So I actually walked over and watched, and I was able to pretty easily tell what was going on because it, it's a burn deck, right? There's like three permanents in play at any given time, and then just a bunch of spells going on the stack. And the spells basically all do the same thing. It's like a deal three, a deal three, exile the top two, goblin guide monastery swift here people know what these cards do uh so it wasn't actually that hard to track so uh there were some pros weighing in and saying that this judge call was inappropriate because this could have created board states that were inhospitable to newer players or newer opponents i would disagree and say that within the context of this tournament this is actually a brilliant judge call because would this have worked for yogmoth if this was yogmoth deck or some off meta deck that no one knew the cards in or even something like a living end deck where, where there's just a lot of text that, that maybe not everyone knows off the bat. This might not have worked. They might have needed a different resolution. But for burn, I think this is actually perfect. <laughs> like the, the judge was also on hand at all times to basically watch over this person's match. I saw they were going overtime and, and basically instead of having free time kind of wandering around observing, they're basically just like helping with this player's matches the entire tournament. Um, answering any questions about what a certain car might have read so uh i don't know what are your thoughts on this was this the right judge call hard to say given i wasn't there i think given the context i know about what happened i think it was a fine call whether it was the right call maybe there were multiple correct quote-unquote correct calls to make here 
But like, what are your other options? The the player who had someone else spill stuff on their deck gets DQ'd. Yeah, like that's like, no fun. I yeah, I don't think. Or and then what is like every LGS supposed to have a copy of every modern playable deck on hand to let people play with if something yeah. like this happens? Would they have done this if it was a pro tour? I don't know. But I think context mm. matters a lot. And I think too many people saw this and thought like this call is going to set precedence for every call going forward. And I don't think this was high enough level for that to be the case. Um yeah. And that's what judges are kind of there for is to make a call in the moment and decide what's reasonable to do going forward. And I think, again, given the context of this event, that seemed to be a reasonable thing to do. Yeah, I mean, this call, it it saved the tournament for two players, right? And and maybe others, uh, opponents that might have had to deal with a different, less correct call. Uh, Ultimately, this saved the day of the player who was piloting the deck. They came in third or fourth. I don't remember which. I think third. So that's really cool. Uh, this saved the day of the opponent who spilled the coffee because I, I don't even know how they were feeling about this. Um, I do actually. It turns out the person who spilled the coffee is a, a good longtime pal of mine uh, who I've known even back since uh, Rutgers Magic tournaments. Uh, and real stand-up guy, real cool dude. Uh, it wasn't surprising at all that he bought the deck off the opponent and replaced all the cards uh, with mostly the stuff from his personal collection. Uh, just immediately. Uh, so funny enough I, I didn't actually know this until after but uh i i offered to get him a drink uh probably through the tournament and uh, I, I didn't know he was the one that had spilled this i didn't even know that the spill had occurred until the very end of the day uh so what i will say is that maybe around three or four of the tournament the entire tournament hall did see me hand the spiller a second cup of coffee <laughs> <laughs> so i don't i don't know what that made me maybe complicit in future spills uh but in any case, um, there was no harm, no foul between the two players. Um, I guess uh, maybe the ultimate takeaway is drinks belong on the ground or something like that. I will certainly be more conscious of where I put my drinks in, in all future matches. Uh, so this was a, a very funny occurrence. And uh, honestly, it was pretty fun just to be there for it. Uh, some more discourse that happened this week. There was Eternal Weekend that happened uh, this past weekend. So big, uh, like legacy, vintage tournament, big money cards, lotuses flying around, all sorts of stuff. And this spawned uh, a a bit of chatter on Twitter in regards to a picture that was taken at a dinner where a bunch of people from a certain tournament, uh, like all went out to dinner afterwards. And someone was there wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Uh, but the person who posted the picture had blurred out the words, make America great again. So this led to the idea that apparently it was cool to hang out with this person, uh, but not cool to show it, even though it's Mm. pretty obvious. And this person, even in context is known to wear this hat. Uh, and actually once again, I find myself in the spotlight. I have played against this certain opponent Mm. at my local game store while he was wearing this hat and to be honest what it came off to me was knowing you know the large subset of people that play magic uh there's a, a, an awfully large subset of people that get pretty upset about something like this and from you know what, what was going magic around players online, get upset about <laughs> yeah yeah that's true uh from the context it seemed like this was an intentional choice to try to trigger your opponent and just tilt them a little bit get that little bit of extra ev hmm. uh and also just to you know tilt the 
I guess, socially conscious leftist magic players that happen to be there. And I'll be, I'll be honest. I was thrown when I saw this. Uh, I was like, is this, is this cool? Like, are we, are we letting this happen in game stores? Like there are, there are trans players in this tournament. There are like Hispanic players in this tournament. And here in the U S uh, it's, it's pretty obvious what a hat like that stands for. So, uh, uh, it was a bit of a mess and this led to a whole mess on Twitter about whether people like this should be included in, in, in magic events or whether this is the certain or whether a, a local game store can police the clothing of its wear a mess of a, a Twitter nonsense. So I don't know. I, I think if ultimately if your goal is to upset people in such bad faith context like that, Stop listening to our podcast and go do something else because you're you're not welcome here. If if you're trying to intentionally trigger your opponent, that's just like come on, <laughs> go 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 get a life. Um, that, that that's not why we play magic, right? Magic is about connecting with people, being inclusive, and and trying to have the most possible people have the best experience possible. And uh, I think magic is the best possible space. You know, ironically, there's this uh. What is it? The paradox of inclusion, where in order to have some people feel included, you do need to exclude the people that try to exclude certain uh, historically oppressed subsets and groups. So uh, does this violate the principles of inclusion? Uh, maybe depend on how you look at it. But ultimately, the goal is to make this a more inclusive place for people that are historically marginalized. And uh, that, you know, that that didn't happen here. Hmm. Interesting. It's not where I thought this conversation was going. I thought it was going to have more to do with whether it was okay to blur the thing out, but uh, uh, that, that's a whole other thing. Whether uh, don't don't worry, there, there's sure. plenty of threads on Twitter about that too. Whether it was okay to hang out with someone, but you know, blur out a piece of their clothing because mm-hmm. you know how it would come across, but not blur it fully, and everyone kind of knows about the hat anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot to unpack here, probably more than we have time for in this episode. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, this could be an episode unto itself. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, inclusivity can be kind of difficult because, yeah, by nature, you're like at some point kind of discussing being exclusive in the name of being inclusive, which just feels hypocritical. But then also, is it? <laughs> um, and so there is like, yeah, there's some of that. A, I think the the whole like wearing a hat to intentionally tr- uh, trigger people or like tilt people is kind of like a quintessential um, genius or grifter <laughs> kind of topic. Uh, uh, yeah, leaning yeah. definitely in the grifter camp on from from my perspective for that. But, oh yeah. Um, I personally just don't. That type type of stuff just doesn't trigger. Like I just don't care. You can wear what you want, and I'm just gonna play my game. But. Uh, I can understand how it would it would make people offended and like or it would offend people and and yeah there's like a I guess a question around should that be okay and should it not I yeah. don't know yeah not a lot of not a lot of correct answers here I don't know what like a local game store is supposed to do about something like this and uh, you know if if someone in like your play group is is doing something like this then like as someone who just comes to your local game store frequently, is that a conversation you sit down and have with that person? I'm curious to hear what people think about this in Discord. Uh, and and should you want to you know engage with this topic, be conscious, be polite, and know that uh you know we'll, we'll kick you out if you're being rude about this. So 
Anyway, this isn't the end of the discourse. There's plenty more. There was a wave of Hasbro layoffs, uh, which has been going around. And uh, funny enough, the Hasbro layoffs seem to hit a lot of high-profile magic people. Uh, Paul Sheehan included posting on Twitter saying that he is no longer working with, uh, with Hasbro. And this is funny given that Wizards is making Hasbro massive swaths of its annual earnings uh, relative to its other you know, Hasbro subsidiaries. And uh, especially the fact that you know, the people in charge are raking in the billions. So uh, I, I don't know. This is especially rough right before the holidays where a bunch of people that have poured a lot of love and heart into magic are now finding themselves out of a job. Uh, whereas, I don't know, there, there's better ways this can be done. Uh, it, it just feels so disingenuous and, and, and hypocritical to say that Hasbro has been making record earnings thanks to magic. And then laying off some of the people that have been helping create those record earnings while the folks in charge are raking in more than ever. Yeah. Also a really weird time for a toy company to lay people off. Like they're about to go into like the highest sale time period of the year. Seems like a weird time. Like I would expect if sales didn't, didn't match expectations coming out of Christmas and like the holiday season. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe you lay people off and that you use the data that came in from that typically high sale period to inform those layoffs but to do it right before that time seems very strange all right how about another dose of discourse for you uh there was a judge call going around about the amalia loop which is uh, right now a pretty hot pioneer deck uh the uh, amalia uh wild growth walker combo which is technically an infinite combo that mills out yourself and opponents. And you know, forget this one. I don't even want to talk about this one. Go go look it up on Twitter. This one's just a mess. Um, Another thing that happened this week, Ravnica remastered stuff has been dropping. They kind of spoiled it all in two days. Uh, eh, Bit disappointing, to be honest, not a lot of value, some cool cards, some really fun and flavorful cards, but this one is being premium priced. And unless you open exactly Cyclonic Rift, you're not really earning back what you get from a pack. One thing that maybe is going to balance that out is that there is a bunch of anime arts. I guess technically manga arts. I don't know. I see people referring to them in, as anime arts. I guess technically this is manga arts. I, I don't know. Uh, which, I'll be honest, we, we've been a little, uh, a little brutal towards in the past. Didn't love it for the Wilds of Eldraine set. Didn't love it the previous iteration. Uh, Honestly, don't love it this time around either. A lot of them are kind of generic and not really evocative. And, you know, more power to you if this is your stuff, if you're a huge fan of this art style. There are some of these manga art styles that I absolutely adore. Uh, For example, the Junji Ito series, which is just awesome. That is evocative. It clearly has a lot of heart put into it. What I don't love seeing is, um, I don't know, Aurelia looking more like a... One of my waifu's schoolgirls, <laughs> like a, a Boros battle angel. Uh, I, I don't know. There's certainly a market for these uh, th- these these art styles, but um, I guess it's not me. All right. Uh, this week, as we're going to do all month, we are skipping the listener question of the week to store those up for the holiday mailbag. So again, do jump into the discord and check out our 2023 holiday mailbag channel to drop your questions and get yourself entered into raffle, pick up those arena codes with that. We'll move right on to our fairy tibble. This is our roses and thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, how's it going? You 
briefly mention some of these things, but what's up? Yeah, I'll start with the Teferis. Uh, in the RCQ, I didn't do too bad. Uh, I came in 13th out of 28, I think. So eh, fine, I missed top eight by a bit. I ended up going 3-2. Uh, I did actually miss top eight on breakers because of how it ended up working out. So there was a world where the, the my opponents performed better in the tournament and then I could have made top eight on, on the tiebreakers. I think two 3-2s or one 3-2 got in. Uh, played pretty well, um, which I was I was very happy with. I'm still playing classic black white scam, which turns out now that Rakdos scam is is kind of gone. Uh, sometimes still straggling on. I've seen people playing just the grief version, and it's still a pretty good deck. Uh, black white scam is, is it's where it's at. I, I really like where the deck is positioned right now, and it felt good to play it. I do think I have a rough matchup against Yogmoth Hospital. Got to improve that somehow, and. There was a critical, man, a critical game uh, in, in round four where I, I, I was 2-1 I was and I, things could have gone better. I sideboarded incorrectly against 8-Whack, uh, like the Koldotha, Forge, whatever, Rebirth. Uh, it's like an artifact, uh, Goblin Bushwhacker deck where they make a bunch of tokens, play a thing that gives them all 1-0 in haste and then swing for a million. And I boarded out my Cauldron Complete thinking that my Stoneforge Mystic wouldn't live long enough for me to put my College of Complete into play, give it lifelink with um, like Shadow Spear and swing to, to balance out my life total. Because that, that deck really can't beat a swing of like six life. And I had a, a, a pivotal moment in the game where I was like, oh man, like I've stabilized, they're tapped out. I can do this really sick play where you put Stoneforge Mystic's ability on the stack. So you activate it, you can put an equipment from your hand into play, you flicker it with ephemerate, you go get Cauldron Complete, and then you let the trigger resolve, putting Cauldron Complete into play. I would have been able to equip a Shadow Spear, swing for a million, stabilize, and when I was looking through my deck, I realized that I sideboarded out Cauldron Complete. So uh, when I took out Sword of Fire Ice instead, my opponent was like, oh, not Cauldron Complete? I thought I was dead. <laughs> so when even your opponent is happy about your, uh, your misplay, that's how you know you, you messed up. So uh, I, I think I could have performed better. I do think that was a mistake, and it, it may have cost me top eight. Certainly something to learn from. Now, what's funny is that between rounds of this RCQ, I was, uh, I was playing in the win a festival in a box thing, and uh, I actually went 6-0. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea you double-queued those, those events. That's ridiculous. Oh, dude, of course I did. <laughs> I, in between rounds on, on Twitter, I was making a thread uh, about my update for my RCQ and the update for the, the festival in a box, and I, I, I pulled the clean 6-0 with a pretty sweet Obzon mid-range deck really going back to my roots on that one. The highlight was a Galta and Maverin fame and uh, a, a Fauna Shaman, which Fauna Shaman, you can discard a creature card to go tutor out another creature card. I had a really good suite of creatures to tutor out. I had um, the Skyfisher Spider, the one from Dominaria United, that can uh, destroy a creature. So I had like a tutorable removal spell. It could also gain you a bunch of life. I had Galta and Maverin as a huge bomb, uh, a bunch of other cool creatures like that to tutor for. Uh, that was all a great time. Uh, Tibble, uh, I, I've had some long days this week. Yesterday, I was at school from about 7 a.m. to about 9.30 p.m. or 8, 9 p.m., something like that. I just stayed clean through the whole time to my student's concert. Uh, it was like the holiday choir band concert. And I told him I'd never miss it and uh, started to regret it <laughs> around 6 p.m. <laughs> but at that point, I'd committed. And uh, it was a great show. My students were really stoked to see me there. And uh, 
I'm happy I went, but I have not really caught up on the sleep since. And I got to say this cold brew, it's doing wonders, but I, I feel like I'm tired really fast now rather than just tired slow. I feel like I'm fast tired. Is that, does that make sense? Sure. <laughs> Anywho, what's up with you? Yeah, I guess I'll start with my Teferi as well. I did a thing and got Magic Online installed on my Mac and Whoa. have started looking into renting out both Pioneer and Modern Spirits because I was Ooh. doing some updates to the deck on my Moxfield account, you know, mm -hmm. making some adjustments to the deck list, figuring out what I wanted to purchase to update my paper version of the deck. And I had been looking at, you know, Modern Spirits and Pioneer Spirits in theory, aren't very different. They yeah. run the same package of spirits, very similar kind of removal suite, and now they're running um, Surge of whatever it's called, Surge of Sustenance or something like that. Surge of... I can't remember. It's a, Salvation, it's a, maybe? The white? Surge of Salvation. I think that's right. Yeah, it's white. Yeah. Um, from Aftermath. And it's from the Mars Machine app. Eh, sure. <laughs> um, anyway, it gives like your whole board hexproof or something. So it's just like a nice board save for when your opponent board wipes. In any case, um, there are, there's a lot of overlap between the pioneer and modern versions of the deck. And the biggest problem is really the mana base that doesn't have overlap. You know, you're missing fetches in pioneer and a few of other things. And so you have to make adjustments and then the sideboards are totally different. Anyway, I was building these out, realized I need about $300 worth of cards to build both pioneer and modern, which when we're talking about modern decks and pioneer decks, not very much money. Not too bad. To get two decks out of it. Yeah. Um, that said, what I realized is through Card Hoarder's um, rent program, not sponsored, um, through their rental, their rental program, it'll cost me about $3 a week to rent both <laughs> decks. <laughs> That's awesome. So just going to do that for a while and not shell out hundreds of dollars on a deck that I have not really ever played in paper because I yeah. don't go to tournaments that often. So feeling great about that. Excited to kind of jam one of my favorite decks and uh, get some games in here and there. My Tibble is, uh, and I may have mentioned this on the show a little while ago, but um, turns out I need like glasses for nearsighted stuff, like reading glasses essentially, because I Whoa. picked a career that is daily damaging my eyes <laughs> um huh yeah and uh so now i need glasses for near stuff i can see just fine without them but it strains my eyes and eventually we'll need them more or less permanently and so it's kind of more of a preventative measure to like long elongate the amount of time out i can go without needing them permanently but hmm. yeah not not a huge fan of that yeah well I guess like it's not really a good long-term solution as more and more jobs become screen-based, you know, like that's going to happen to other people too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, you know, I'm staring at a screen and I mean, we're all doing it with our phones too. Like we, people are averaging probably between six and 10 hours of screen time across devices in some way, shape or form on a day, like on average. So it's a lot. And we're looking, I mean, phones screens are getting bigger and stuff, but they're mm -hmm. still small. And so text is really tiny and I read a lot. So even on like a physical book or on a Kindle or something, I'm doing a lot of stuff nearsighted. So yeah, I guess it just is what happens, but yeah, you're probably right. It's going to be more and more common. I think, you know, uh, 
I had a student tell me that, that they brought their screen time down and they were really happy about it. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. What'd you bring it down to? And they go, uh, 14 hours. Down to 14 hours? Yeah. Oh, that makes me feel yeah. good. I saw it at like <laughs> seven and change the other day and I, was, I felt awful. And yeah. uh, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. The world's not ready for the, uh, the generation that's in high school and below right now. They are, they are tech integrated. They may as well be cyborgs. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the Discord again. Drop your questions in that 2023 holiday mailbag channel. Go check out the trophy channel where we are kind of, we have our scoreboard going and taking, keeping notes of who's trophying and how many for each set. We also have our bounty boards where you can actually submit to win real prizes. We'll send you packs if you are achieving the bounties um, and a lot of fun ones. So definitely jump in there and check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. If you'd like to support the show directly, maybe get your hands on one of those sweet Itzkin stickers. Check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. That keeps the show going and we really appreciate everybody who supports us over there. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at draft pod and uh, on Reddit as well. We have a subreddit there, r slash draft pod. Thanks folks. And we'll catch you next week. I wanted to say this again. Uh, if you're thinking about jumping in the Discord and excitedly typing up something about, about any of our, our discourse earlier, be mindful. Uh, it's, it's important, especially in, in today's climate. Uh, a lot of my students I see are, are really affected by this. And uh, I, I know everyone is ultimately. Something else I wanted to shout out was that we've got a new format this week, which is timeless. And uh, man, well, what a format. I've only played a couple of games, but it it kind of feels like arena legacy maybe not vintage there's no lotuses or anything you can't do anything super busted turn one combo wins but it does feel a lot like legacy where you're playing these hyper cheap hyper efficient spells uh and playing with a lot of stuff that's i mean banned in some way you can play with luris you can play with oko you can play with uh uro I don't know, Yorian decks I've seen cropping up. One ring decks that are looking to cast natural order to go get a Troxa to go find more one rings, like really, really messed up stuff. So if you want to, want a taste of some broken magic, I think timeless, you know, I, I don't love the, all the alchemy stuff. Um, historic and, and alchemy have, have kind of fallen by the wayside. I haven't touched them in a while, but timeless. I, I think this one actually, this one might be it. We, we might be back with this one. There are alchemy cards in Timeless, but sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. Here, here's the thing. As wacky as some of those alchemy cards are, they're not as good as Orcish Bowmasters, or they're sure. not as good as Oko, uh, or, or they're not as good as... I mean, there's Bolt and Channel in this, right? So uh, I, I actually think what I was hoping happened with alchemy and didn't happen might happen here, which is where the, the paper cards are so good that they they edge out the alchemy versions and alchemy nonsense adjusted cards to the point where they're basically unplayable in the format. That, that's what I'm hoping at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, they, it goes a long way that they aren't putting in alchemy adjusted versions of paper cards. So if they were printed mm -hmm. in paper, you're just getting the paper version, which I think, yeah, it goes a long way to, to making that happen. 